is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Mutita Banmuk, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist who is as known as the time queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do other things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, Get Unstuck Nation. So today, my guest, our guest, is so amazing. So please welcome Angela Johnson with us today. So let me introduce Angela to you. So Angela is a certified Scrum trainer who is also an author of the Scrum Master Five Secrets Every Coach Should Know. So she is basically professional people geek, and you will know a little bit about that. Very shortly, she helps others successfully implement Scrum and Agile so that they can achieve their goal and objective in their business and their life because we need that. So please welcome Angela to get unstuck with you today. Hi, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. Hello. Hi. So yeah, I'm so excited because like this thing is so important for anyone who want to. Get unstuck, basically, and if they want to like get more organized and also work more agile, because we are going to talk about that today. So yeah, it's going to be like prepare your pen, prepare your paper, and yeah, take notes. Before that, how you started this entrepreneurial journey, though? It's it's a um, maybe different from some of your entrepreneurs who maybe had a vision or had a plan. That's not how I started. I was working. As a scrum master, but I was doing that for other people. I was um, billing myself out, billing my services through their consulting firms, and I thought, you know, how hard could that be to do the extra paperwork and <clears throat> get a higher bill rate and do it for myself, right? So, a bit of a broken corporate employee, decided to just start doing that on my own. And as I did that, I started getting busy. And I had people, clients approaching me saying, well, we'd rather have coaches or trainers from your organization because we like working with you. You get it. And so I started finding like-minded individuals and pulling them into my fold. 13 years later, here I am. So I never had this vision or this grand plan of I'm going to start a company. It just happened. It just sort of happened organically. The part that may resonate with some of your listeners who do have side hustles is that in 2018, we were holding all of our training classes in hotel ballrooms or any place really we could get space. And it just wasn't great. It, we couldn't control the environment. It started to reflect poorly on our brand. And so once again, how hard could it be? You know, the team got together and, and found a raw space in an office building and we built it out. We have 8,000 square feet. We've created our own training and event center. It's called West End Conference Center. And when you do that, 
and a global pandemic shuts you down, funny thing, the rent is still due, the bills are still due. So we had to pivot pretty hard. And so what we've done is we've started offering the space to other businesses who've let their buildings go because people still have a need to get together. They have to have board meetings or training classes or just events in general. And that little side hustle of West End Conference Center has this year really become our main focus. It's kind of starting to overtake, you know, the, the coaching and training side of the business, which was a wonderful um, thing to have happen that we, you know, we didn't go in planning that. We always referred to it as our side hustle. But it's very quickly becoming our main our main focus. So some of your entrepreneurs may find some inspiration or some nuggets in that example. Oh, what I learned from that is actually timing is something that is a factors of pivot, right? Mm-hmm. And with it's also a part of adjusting your operation as well. Then correct, correct, mm-hmm. because all of our classes flipped to virtual. I mean, you're in Bangkok, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we're talking right now, looking at each other face to face. And our classes inevitably had to move to that format. And so I'm in the conference center right now. I'm in our 8,000 square foot center. We just had to turn a couple of these smaller rooms into studios, you know, with a professional microphone and equipment so that we're giving our students the best possible experience in our online teaching and coaching sessions. Meanwhile, the rest of the team is out there, you know, making the magic happen for the guests that we have in the space today. So it's been a very um, different way of working and pivot is a good word. You said pivot. It's a, it's an excellent word. (laughs) Yeah. But actually like it's a good move as well, but this is something that I think you need to make decision fast. And how, how can you make decision fast? That's also something that in, I'm interesting to know how you make decision on that. And, and fast is maybe one of those things that it appears that way, but some of us think, right? I'm one of those people that thinks, and I'll even think about thinking there's, the, there's something lying in there percolating over time. And in some cases, it may be driven a little bit about fear as well. Um, I remember the day that we were told we had to flip all of our classes online. Uh, In my bio, you mentioned certification. So there is a certifying body that governs some of the rules. And they said, figure out how to flip all your classes online. So in talking to people, I'm one of those people who likes to talk my ideas out and then let them, you know, uh, rumble around in there for a while. I knew right away there was no time to weigh the pros and cons. There was no time to do some more elaborate decision-making style or matrices or anything like that. And talking to just a few people, I kept hearing things like, we're going to wait. This is going to blow over. We're going to cancel a few classes and see what happens. And just something in my head said, there is no going back. There is no this blowing over. I mean, the minute we make a big change, like offering classes online, how do you put the genie back in that bottle? How, how do you then tell people, Oh no, just kidding. You're going to have to come in person. And so that realization drove my decision-making. So whether that was 
my feet were being held to the fire <laughs> or it was just fear <laughs> of the unknown and saying to heck with it anyway, I knew we had to figure it out. So we didn't cancel any classes. We got together as a team and started playing with Zoom and just running experiments and figured it out. We held our, our very first virtual class without missing a beat the following week. I hear that your team involved every step from tasting. So let's let's start from this this word. How I know that your company also uh, named collaborative leadership team, right? So how do you define like this collaborative leadership team? Like for you on definition, how is that looks like really? It's really important to me to not have an environment where it's top down command control. I'm the boss. You know that's that's not ever anything that I was interested in. That's always what turned me off when I worked for other people. And so I wanted this idea of collaboration, inclusivity, giving other people a voice, but also empowering people. So sometimes when I'm just working in the center, people don't even know, you know, that on paper I own the company or, you know, that the people who are Uh, basically running or managing the space are employees of mine. And sometimes they'll say, doesn't that bother you? Don't you want people to know? Why? My, my ego is not wrapped up in that. The more important thing for me is the result. Who cares whose idea it was or how we got there? And so I can often be heard saying, I just work here. I just, I just work here. <laughs> you know, the, the the team makes the magic happen. But when you really empower people, I think that's where you get creativity. You get great ideas that you may not have gotten before, and it's just such a non-issue when things happen. It's not a uh, people retreating to their corner and hoping that the boss figures it out. It's this natural coming together. Of people rallying and saying, "How do we figure this out?" And that that's really important to me. So I always wanted an organization that was going to be made up of uh, people working together, not all about me, because that's not that's not the goal here. So in that case, usually we have to think about this since we plan for the recruiting or for the people that we already have exiting here. We can adapt them or adjust them to become more collaborative team. Correct. Yeah. Which one, the first or the later? Well, because it's been 13 years, I will tell you, I have learned most of what you just described the hard way. You know, early <laughs> early on, it would be recruiting and interviewing and thinking, "Oh, I see some skills in that person." That I could, you know, potentially mentor and shape into uh, being a more effective team member, and I can't tell you how many times I was just wrong. You know, people put such a good face on when they're interviewing or when they're being recruited, and then when the rubber meets the road, when we're in it, you see what people are really made of. And too many times, people would want what we were. Uh, saying that we're about, they wanted that appeal. You know, they wanted to work in an agile and scrum organization, and then they get in here, and it's like almost as if they 
got it and went, shoot, this is really work. Like, I really have to work at this. Yeah, we all do every day. And then we would have issues. So um, when you and I were talking before the, the conversation, you know, we talked a little bit about scaling up and scaling down. So there was a time where we were just growing, growing, growing and, and recruiting and hiring. And then we went, you know, we're seeing a pattern here of people getting in here and us going, uh, we talked about all this stuff in the recruiting process and the interviewing process. We, we meant that. So what's the problem? And so now we've just gone the other way. We've gotten really, really small and we value doing more with the people we have that are the right people. And if we do hire again, we have quite the lessons learned about the characteristics and the attitudes we will be looking for. Because to your point, yes, we believe we can train the other things, the other skills, we can mentor those things. But if we don't have that raw attitude of willingness and somebody who doesn't really have an ego, it's really hard to teach that stuff. I don't know how you teach that stuff. I agree. It's not even culture though. It's like characteristic Mm -hmm. and and it's in alignment with others. Yeah, totally. I have worked with people from every culture all over the world. I mean, the last few years have definitely immersed us into that. And you're right. It's it's somebody's own characteristics, whatever's going on in their own, in their own amygdala, in their own ego. And um, if they're not willing, if they're not willing to be collaborative, if they're not willing to work with other people, if they're willing to take feedback, I, I, I don't know how you coach free will, but <laughs> right? I think it's involved like, what how to say how can i put this sense of making decisions somehow like how they take it and also how they making decision upon the tasks that are assigned that's that's also very important like responsibility towards the tasks yeah it's so hard and do you feel like it makes your company more reserved because of that that it makes us more reserved yeah regarding to human resource Um, I don't think so because, um, when people hear how I do or do not do things from a human resource perspective, some of them are shocked and some of them are just downright horrified, you know, if they work at big companies because we don't have a department. Why we're a small company. Um, you know, they talk about job titles. Why everybody, um, is expected to do what's needed. And so often a job title almost gives a person the feeling that they have the right to say no to other things when their teammates are in time of need or when the company's in time of need. So I I hire everybody as team member. And then they'll say, well, what do I put in my LinkedIn? I don't care what you put on your LinkedIn. Uh, You can call yourself, you know, the most awesome human ever. I don't, I don't care. You know, what you do here doesn't go with a a title that's such a 20th century management philosophy, you know, you're a bricklayer, you're a baker, you're a you know driver, you know, and why we carry that over into the professional knowledge working world has always bothered me. Yeah. So in my own, so in my own organization, I just don't do it. I, just, I agree with you though. Cause I always tell, yeah, like my, like, 
over here, like my, let's say like ecosystem over here, or even my clients, I always say that, are you sure that this is what they have worked before according to their job title? Like salespeople that doing closure on that company and this company may be totally different. Mm-hmm. Not only software though, but like how they work or the difference. That skill set is already different, even though they are doing sales and close the sales. Okay, that's basic. But how they close the sales, like and other skill and other ways that they make a decision on, like it's it's not the same. Like you have to go deeper of how they cooperate with other departments, which is can be another chaotic ways of do, dealing with salespeople and so on. Like, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, subtitle is only title. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and then the other thing people will ask is about, you know, performance reviews or, you know, raises and reviews. And I'm like, we don't do performance reviews. Why? And how you, and how you review it. Okay, that's interesting. And how you do evaluation then? We give each other feedback every day. Every why Why do we think that it's okay to keep notes about somebody and then unveil that at the end of a long year and hit everybody with it when they can't go back in time and do anything about it? So in these uh, ways of working that we teach, Scrum and Agile, they're very values-based. And a lot of the values are rooted in respect, openness, honesty. So why aren't we living those values? So that's what we do at this company. We give each other feedback daily. Why should we sit people down once a year for some big unveiling? And it's not that we don't do raises and it's not that we don't do bonuses. They're tied to the team performance. If you want people to work together and you're incenting them individually, (laughs) Do not be surprised when they don't behave as a team. They're only thinking about themselves. Me, 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 me. And I want them thinking about we, the, the greater good, the company. We all succeed, right? Yeah. Have you ever seen any... Okay, before I ask that question, let's come back to the basic. What is Scrum and what is Agile for those who never know? <laughs> I just keep asking. I know, right? I'm so sorry. You could know that's okay. You could Google the word agile and dog training comes up, you know, agility, <laughs> agile, right? So um, scrum is based on the rugby metaphor. If you're familiar with uh, the game of rugby, the huddle that the, the players get into is called a scrummage. So that was referred to in a 1986 Harvard Business Review article. And it was all about uh, how people were doing work together as I've been describing. The professors who wrote that paper, Takeuchi and Nanaka, they described how people, regardless of their job title, were working together in what they called a rugby-like huddle, trying to reach a common goal. Um, The creators of Scrum read that article and got very inspired by it, and they just decided to shorten the word scrummage and call their framework Scrum. People working together in a rugby-like huddle. What happened in the year 2001 is the gentleman who created Scrum got together with a bunch of other people who had similar frameworks, but they had different names, like extreme programming, adaptive software development. You were talking about software earlier. And they wrote something called the Agile Manifesto. And the only reason they chose the word Agile as kind of this umbrella term to describe all of their frameworks is it was in the title of the number one best-selling business book at the time. There was a book about 
uh, virtual organizations and agile competition. I think it's agile competition and virtual organizations. So that ability that you mentioned earlier to pivot, to adapt, to be agile, and that word just stuck. So Scrum is agile, but agile doesn't necessarily mean Scrum. It could mean extreme programming. It could mean DSDM. It could mean, you know, any one of those seven frameworks. Oh. But people love that dang word. Yeah. <laughs> and people just use it for almost everything when they want to say they flexibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just stretch it out. <laughs> Well, and they use it to describe methodology, like as if it's project management or, you know, something like that. And I always say, where is this agile methodology? It's, it's for values. There's, there's no methodology. I mean, methodologies usually are in bodies of knowledge that are thousands of pages thick. So I think we love to take these new words and make them stick on the old mindset or the old ideas. And, and then to me, when I hear those things, you know, then people really are stuck <laughs> in their previous ways of working and getting unstuck to this new stuff really takes quite a lot. I think it takes quite a lot. Usually, okay, most common problem that you find when people come to you, okay, most business owner, let's say small business owner come to you, usually where they are stocking at. Mm-hmm. They they say they want to change. They say they want different results, but then they don't want to make the structural or the behavioral changes to get them the new results. Oh yeah, okay. I'm saying I want to lose twenty pounds. All right, you're going to have to start exercising. Oh no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, then we're going to have to change your diet. No, I'm not going to do that either. Well. <laughs> you're not going to lose 20 pounds. So it's like, we want, you know, to deliver value to our clients faster. Great. You're going to have to stop having your people sliced across multiple different pieces of work. They're going to have to focus and get the most important thing done. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you're not going to get new results. You're going to keep getting exactly what you've always got. And how you usually start working with them. I'm very curious because if it's value-based and then how you help them start this project then like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. There's, there's two ways that people come to us. Mm-hmm. The most common way is we get individuals coming to public classes mm-hmm. and that's never going to affect change in an organization. You might be planting seeds. I might be inspiring that individual and that individual may be, may be going back into their employer and making change. They may quit and go work for a different employer. So you can't really control what happens with one individual. And when we get engaged with a company, a lot of companies want us to just come in and train their teams. Well, we say no to that. We, we say we want to start with your leaders because if we don't start with the leaders, if we train people at the team level and get them all excited about this, and then they start trying to execute, but the leader is contradicting them, you're still not going to get the results that we say we want. And so if we don't start with the leaders, there's little chance that you're going to make change. And you're right. It is values-based. So we prefer a conversation so that they can ask questions, they can find out what's involved when we talk about change, and we can even ask them, how much change are you willing to make? Because some of them think it has to be big bang, 
and it doesn't, we could start small. And oftentimes they just don't want to change. But then we very respectfully bow out because it's not a good use of our time to just continue to say a bunch of words and then have no change over and over again. We'd rather be inspiring those individuals if we don't have, you know, company work at that time. I have two questions. Okay. Before I forgot, let me take note. Okay. First question. Have you ever find a company that have issue regarding to communication? All the companies I work with. (laughs) Especially those leaders and also the followers. Yes. And how you deal with that? Because it's so important when I, I think, I think, well, because I am also like very operation oriented and I understand like, this is also like really pain in the ass when you have to talk to them. And oh my gosh, I, I think it's like never ending problem, but it's pay the bills, right? That's why we still have business. <laughs> still this mm-hmm. day. Yeah. So how you deal with them? Like how, how you, how you guide them through understand that if you don't change the communication problem, that's why the operation problem hasn't been right. solved. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, one of the things from a data standpoint that I do like to share with leaders is that the average adult, the average adult needs to hear something seven times, seven ways before it starts to sink in before we start to see action. There are other studies that say that the number is as high as 22 when it comes to certain kinds of messaging. So when I ask leaders, how did you communicate this direction? How did you, you know, communicate this change? Well, we sent an email, did you? Oh, okay. So now you're assuming the person received it. You're assuming the person opened it. You're assuming they read it. And then you're assuming they mystically understood it exactly as intended. Can we misinterpret the written word? daily if we're texters or emailers you know that's why we try to use emojis so when did you follow up and hold a conversation some sort of town hall meeting i don't care whether it's over webex or zoom or microsoft teams whatever or if you got face to face so that people could ask questions did you follow up individually with specific leaders in your organization you know depending on how big the company is because if you did not do not be surprised when people are confused as heck. So they got to hear it multiple times. So about the time a leader is driving themselves nuts, you know, from saying it over and over again, that's probably about when the message is landing. The other thing I tried to do, since you did uh, mention my people geekness, which I love, um, I work with Uh, Dr. Harvey Robbins, who is a a behavioral psychologist here in Minneapolis, and he has a wonderful book called Why Teams Don't Work. And in that book, he shares the driving behavior styles out there, and each behavioral style needs the message in a certain way. And so the five styles are why, what, how, who, and when. So why, what, how, who, when. So if a leader were to package their message, hitting all five of those, they've now increased the chance that it's going to land. Here's why we're doing this. Here's what the goal is. Here's how we want it executed. Here's who 
is involved, here's when it takes effect. You could do it with almost anything. You mentioned a sale, right? Here's why the customer has this need. Here's what will solve their problem. Here's how we're going to do it for them. Here's who needs to know who needs to be involved and here's when it's due, right? So anytime you package your message using those five words, you've essentially spoken to every dominant behavioral style. So now they're like, I got it. I got it now. I'm the kind of person that needs to know the why. If I don't hear why this is important to me, I literally tune it out. Or if I'm really trying to learn or to listen, my, my own ego, my own amygdala literally won't calm down until I get that answered. Why, why do I need to know this? Why is this important to me? Why are we doing this? But if somebody, you know, includes that in their message, oh, I get it. Oh, okay. I get why this is important to me and then I can listen. So there's a lot in communication that we can do with individual leaders to make their messages more effective. So I hopefully those two tips are helpful Wow. Yeah. I already take notes. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Mm. Because it's so important. Right. And I also like, I see that never ending and how long, like, do you, do you give, this is also something the, if they still doesn't have any improvement regarding to communication, issue with your clients do you have a timing that okay it's already affect the way that the project management part building will get the result because of how they communicate would you carry on working with them or how do you consider doing that like like it's a really great question it's affect the result yeah I, i would like to know your take on that it's a really great question it depends on the size of the organization smaller organizations and by small i mean like 2000 and less like 2000 and less you know a small company you know that many employees we typically aren't needed very long because smaller companies when they make these changes then they really don't need our services which is a happy place to be right they got it they can sustain this for themselves they can do this huge companies you know like thirty thousand employees do i ever think that they're going to get better not necessarily as a whole that would be statistically pretty impossible but little pockets or little departments inside a large organization may right have some hope so we'll always have the conversation we'll have the conversation and then between those two between like a small organization and a giant one oh oftentimes if there isn't real change happening within a year or so we kind of put them on the back burner it's like this doesn't seem like the right time you know it's a it's a waste of our time if we're not serious about this and that opportunity cost, which hopefully that term resonates with your listeners, it's like, what client could I be engaging with if I weren't spending my time here being ineffective? So we really have to weigh those factors. Um, we do affectionately refer to it as firing clients, because sometimes that gets their attention when you say, no, we are serious about these things. So this is where we part ways. So we'll try, we'll always try. But um, about a year or so, if we're not seeing any kind of movement or results, it's like, this isn't good for you. It's not good for us either. Yeah. I think it has to be both win-win situation because it's not an easy task to do management consulting at all. 
and no, always, it is not. <laughs> and, and it's always new things coming in every single day on top of what is already building. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny because like they're going to like keep changing new things all the time. I understand that. Um, yeah. So and how how you like mm, and when usually like ah. Uh, Okay, when when you start a project already, let's say, normally how many how many issue you would start first to like tangle? Oh, um, let me see if I understand. So when you say um, how many different issues, like would we tackle communication first, or would we tackle structure first, or would we tackle? Is that what you mean, or to did you have the project? Okay, let's. Uh, we already overcome the communication problem already okay that's topic done um but like to start a project like okay they already hire your company to like uh seeing the structure part regarding to uh scrum and agile right back end they want to improve the back end better like this flow how you how you going to like take a look at their problem and like pinpoint that these are the thing that we are going to suggest you to take care of and which one you are usually start first it depends on the company to be fair i mean because the context is so important uh some organizations really don't even have a handle on what their product is or what they're trying to do and oh. then that trickles down you know to the people who are being asked to execute on it it's kind of like asking people to start running mm. and not telling them whether it's a full marathon or a 5k the other oh. thing that we'll tackle is the availability of people because this way of working is so different. You know, in classic project management, you take people and you slice them across multiple projects. And what happens is they don't reach the goals, they don't reach the date because of that multitasking, that context switching. It actually adversely affects their productivity, it makes them slower. And so if the uh, objection or if the the goal is to really reach the state and we're not meet, reaching it we take a look at what's happening with the people involved and then we'll point out well you know you're time slicing these people you need to dedicate them are you willing to change that or are you not willing to change that the other thing that happens is if people haven't been told that we're working differently you know earlier we talked about incentives so if they're still being incented by their previous job title or their previous job description, and they're not understanding that they need to engage differently, now we have behavior problems. Mm. <laughs> not just communication problems, we have behavior problems, you know, that, that are adversely affecting our ability to deliver this project or this goal. Mm. So it can be all kinds of things. So we really have to go in asking a lot of questions. We really have to go in assessing almost the situation like what problem are you trying to solve what are your goals and objectives how were you doing it before let us take a look at what's happening now and then act accordingly mm. so it's pretty contextual yeah understand uh, so do you think which which stage okay I'm starting to speak English weirdly, which, <laughs> because I'm thinking along the way. Which state of the business, like when they just started, still proven of the concept of like, okay, product market fit or not with this offer, or they already run a business and like, okay, at the point where whether they should, uh, let's say, six figure plus 
uh, already have like one or two products streamlined and thinking about should they add another product line or not or starting to scale like seven plus blah 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 upward which part that they should really take a look at operation in your opinion i would say when they're starting to scale because to your point when it's small and entrepreneurial as your listeners have engaged in that i certainly am an entrepreneur it's fun you almost don't feel like it's work stuff is happening so rapid fire and people are excited and because it's smaller by definition you're almost in that startup mode so things just kind of organically happen and then inevitably things that used to work don't work anymore when you start getting bigger, when you start scaling. And we love that word, right? Not only in the agile community, but in the business community as well. And so I think that's the tipping point that's more important for a business owner to really sit down and go, okay, can the way that we've been operationally working at this point sustain growth? Because let's just say, let's just use my little side hustle as an example. This conference center, the way we... um, we're booking things when we started was post-it notes on a wall. People, you know, had a big calendar on the wall and post-it notes. Oh, okay. Well, one migration has been to having things electronic. Oh, a Google calendar. I know this is like cutting edge technology, right? So now having a Google calendar that can visually show one snapshot of all the bookings and what's going on so that we can communicate with each other. We are as I speak, tapping out at the top end of what we can sustain as client requests are coming in because it's been very manual, even though we introduced a calendar, do we need a CRM? Do we need some sort of software to manage customer requests so that it's more easy to go back and say, oh, this client was here before. What room did they book before? What rate were they given before? What amenities did they have before? But right now and to date, it's all been manual. Has that gotten us off the ground? Yes. Will that take us into the future? I don't think so. (laughs) I think we're going to need to sit down and really look at operations, you know, if we're going to scale that bigger. Yeah. Mm. So it's come back to how do you want this to go further? It depends on the goal as well, right? Always. Always depends on the goal. Mm. See, you need to know where you are heading towards anyway. Mm-hmm. And like, it's amazing how many people don't know. Huh. You know, when I when I ask these leaders, it's like, why do you want to use Agile? Well, because we we we, we want to use Agile. Yeah, you keep using that word. So so what what's your goal? What's changing the way you do work? I don't understand your question. It's like if you if you can't articulate a goal, a reason for changing the way you want to do work, how are your employees gonna understand? Does it make any sense? So yeah, the goal is really important, I think, not just in business, right? But in the way we're doing work, definitely for small business, definitely for entrepreneurs. We we need to know where we're headed. We need to know what our goal is. And in case for those, okay, let's switch the rules. If someone who's listening right now get inspired and they also want to be like a scrum master as well, what are the skill or qualification or interest at least that they should have? Well, I always say effective scrum masters need people skills, people skills. Oh yeah, did I mention people skills? Sure you did. (laughs) Because 
the job is more about that emotional intelligent quotient. Mm-hmm. So it's about watching, paying attention. And even if we're virtual, even if we're not all in the same room, I call it listening with my eyes. I can watch the facial expressions on camera of two different people. And as one person's talking, if I see another person going like this, I know that they're confused as heck. But, you know, then if you just say something lame, like, are there any questions? That person will go. So it takes somebody not only paying attention, but a skilled facilitator to say, I see a couple of frowny faces or crinkled brows, which tells me there's confusion. Who has the first clarifying question? Yeah, I guess I am confused. Now, without a talented facilitator, that miscommunication may have gone completely unchecked. And if somebody's busy doing this or this, they miss it. They need to be actively listening with their ears. <clears throat> and like I say, I call it listening with my eyes. So when I say people skills, there's a whole lot wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. Active listener, somebody who can pick up on facial expressions, body language, uh, understanding how to read a room, whether it's a virtual room or a physical room, understanding voice inflection. You know, because if if somebody's voice kind of starts Oh, they might be getting a little emotional, right? If somebody's talking like that, they might be a little angry. You know, so we really need somebody who's got that emotional uh, people chip to be an effective scrum master. And when I made the change, I used to be a project manager and I I was not happy in, in that job. And when I learned about some of the skills a good scrum master needs, I happily became a scrum master because I didn't like the the task master nature of a project manager, I was like, oh, all this people stuff and I can help others work better together. And isn't that what it's about anyway? It's not about the darn project manager. Who cares? It's about the people doing the work and making that more fun and, and reaching our goals and objectives. At the end of the day, those who do the work is people anyway. See? People geek. <laughs> yeah. Right? So in case anyone want to work with you, Angela, like, Where can they reach out or find you then? Scrumfiles.com. So just scrumfiles.com. And we have a free offer that you can download. Easy ways to get started with Scrum and Agile. The world is also on LinkedIn these days. And my name is quite common. But if you put Angela Johnson Scrum into LinkedIn, I should pop right up. Everything I will make sure that is in the description and show note as well. So... Please, everyone, don't forget to check out and also the book as well. I will make sure that I put all the links below. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, thank you so much, Angela, so, to join Get Unstuck Radio today. I hope everyone who stick until here definitely know people uh, skill already, at least. Yeah, at least better than they just start listening. But until now, they have learned already like almost an hour long of content that, okay, how can they solve this thing um, behavioral-wise or communication-wise? I think you already know a little bit better. So yeah, thank you so much, Anja, for joining and also sharing your tips with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I hope this episode inspired you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a show note at helpyougetunstuck.com today. 
start implementing what you have learned, the result of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.